is your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers. Turn, hand it off to Minter, hit in the backfield and drilled. Again, 13's there to make the tackle. Nebraska wins its fifth national championship. Giving you an inside look at everything going on in Husker Nation. This is the KLIN Husker Hour. Strike three called, and the Huskers are the Big Ten Conference champions. Huskers got it! Underdog, and then one! Exclamation point! Now, your hosts, KLIN contributor Cole Stukenholtz and sports director Caleb Henry. Good Saturday. Just good Saturday morning. Welcome to another edition of the KLIN Husker Hour here in mid-July. We are just 49 days away from kickoff in Dublin. I'm Cole Stukenholtz. That's Caleb Henry. We are ready to rock and roll here with another position preview Monday or another position preview Saturday and <laughs> whatever day uh, it is. Whatever day it is. They all run together at this point in the summer. Uh, we've got Husker basketball news. Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald will join us uh, to talk about another new coaching vacancy for Fred Hoiberg this offseason. Uh, and uh, some some other things to get to as well. And when I was uh, when I was putting together this position preview, and and we'll get to it later, the wide receivers and tight ends together. Uh, it's it, it reminded me again just how much turnover there was on offense, not just in terms of the staff, but in terms of the roster. And man, there's there's just. There's just a lot of unknowns. There's a lot of new faces. And with the way that last year ended and, you know, not having won a game since that Northwestern game, which was 56 to seven and, and, you know, the, the, you know, the rest of it, it, I don't know. Like there's just so much unknown with not just this pass catching group, but almost all of the offense. And there's quite a bit to replace at some spots on defense. And this season has snuck up on us, I think. It's it's going to be here before we know it. We already heard uh, a little bit yesterday, uh, earlier this week from Nick Henrich and Ramir Johnson, uh, who are, which is a term I love, by the way, fourth-year sophomores. <laughs> and we're going to turn around here in a couple weeks. It'll be past big 10 media days and Nebraska is going to be underway with fall camp. Caleb it's, it's uh, arriving quicker than we thought. And there's still a lot of questions to be answered on offense. And uh, we'll try to answer some of them later on with the wide wide receiver and tight end preview. We like those terms, fourth year sophomores until it's someone like cam Jurgens, And then we say, Hey, reminder, this guy's super eligible for the NFL draft, and everyone, well, no, that would be a mistake. He's not going to get drafted, wouldn't go. Guys, Garrett Nelson could have gone to the draft last year, okay? Oh, yeah. And it feels like Garrett Nelson is 19 years old, even though he's been here a decade. Like, there, there's, we're, we're trying to put these two things together, um, and it's going to be difficult to do that still over the next couple of years. But this wide receiver room, Cole, as you were talking about, one – like there just wasn't a whole lot of production. Some of that was not getting open, but it was because defenses were able to they didn't have to worry about the run cuz Nebraska didn't have one. But then at times when they were open, the pass wasn't there or the pass didn't even didn't even happen because 
there was either a sack or Adrian had to take off running. So the like it's like how do you gauge a room that didn't even get a chance to maximize its potential over this last year? Right, and you you have Samari Toure and, and Austin Allen taking about half of the uh, receiving yardage production with them uh, off to the NFL. And, and you're right that there was, you know, Adrian Martinez dealt with like uh, bottom five uh, pressure percentage and amongst power five quarterbacks just had absolutely no time to throw. And I don't know that that situation is going to be markedly better this year with Donovan Raiola trying to, you know, line, line these guys up and losing New Willie here in the off season to uh, a year long suspension. He was probably going to be one of your five best guys. Mm-hmm. So that, that may not improve that part of it may not improve. So uh, the, the, the more you look at that, you're, the more you're going to have to rely on creativity from Mark Whipple, from Mickey Joseph, from Scott Frost. These guys are going to have to pull out every bag, every trick in their bag because they they may not have a choice if the offensive line continues to struggle. That that preview is still yet to be uh, yet to be unveiled as well. We still talk about the O line uh, and and what they're going to do. But uh, this this group again with the the receivers and tight ends, it'll just continue to reiterate just the uncertainty uh, that you've got on offense. Uh, and and we'll get to more of that. Like I said, and I wanted to also hit on. Some more of the expansion talk, the the conference realignment talk, and how you are going to end up seeing this thing when it's the finished product. Uh, I, I think this week we we started to kind of feel like, okay, when is this going to be over? When can we start making these long term plans for which teams are going to be in which conferences and which pods and which regions, and and which teams are going to get left behind. And I kind of thought that there was a, there was a funny uh, there was a funny notion out there like why why isn't the SEC dropping Vanderbilt why isn't why isn't the Big Ten getting rid of like Indiana I you know, uh, I saw those two Cole and those are dumb well here's the, here's the thing there's always going to be a bottom feeder in a conference like no matter who you put like Nebraska and Oklahoma when they dominated the old Big Eight. That meant that Kansas and Kansas State and Iowa State had to consistently be bad, and they were. But if you made all like of the top 20 teams over the last 20 years play out 20 seasons uh, into the future, guess what? You're going to have like two, three, four of those that are going to have a Vanderbilt-like record, that are going to have an Indiana-like record. And that's You're, talking it, just football, stratification. Though, yeah. Because like, there, there's so much more that these schools bring to their conferences like just speaking for the SEC, Vanderbilt is an elite academic institution. You have to have that as part of your league to at least give the give the idea that you're not just it's sports and nothing else matters. Because there are some good academic schools within the SEC and you get to have that jewel of Vanderbilt. Think about their baseball program. No, it's not the big money maker that football is, but you're able to year in and year out see what your baseball programs are doing. It, there there was some talk about getting rid of Northwestern in the Big Ten. Well, you're not, one, you're not going to get rid of the um, the academic institution there. You're not going to get rid of any of your AAU institutions. Northwestern's in Chicago, the home base of the Big Ten. You're not going to just kick them out and say, well, we don't have a team in the market, but we still have the market. That's not the way it works. Like, there, there is... 
They're not kicking schools out, guys. There's, the, the, for, for all of the realignment talk, there are some dumb ideas out there. The thing that you, you could maybe, if you squint hard enough, you could maybe see it. There may come a time, Caleb, where you get to a point where the football side of things is just off here doing its own thing with whatever, however they want to regionalize conferences or schedules or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you may have some sort of equilibrium found for the other sports. And I'm not even talking just Olympic sports. Like even basketball is is kind of separate from this football discussion to me. Mm-hmm. Like you, you could go back to, you know, even 15 years ago with the original Big 12 with the original uh, 11-member Big Ten, with the 12-member SEC, with the 12-member... Uh, nope, 10, still 10. Yeah, it would have been Pac-10. 10-member Pac-10. Yeah, hey, the, what is old is new again. <laughs> um, and, and you can still go back to those types of situations with those other sports where it's more regionalized. Uh, and then football can do whatever the heck they want because they're the ones making the money. And then the football programs at those schools, regardless of not being in the same exact conference setup, as all of those other sports, they'll still make the money and they can still distribute it to those other schools below uh, the other, uh, the other non revenue sports below basketball obviously helps with that too. So you could, you could eventually see that type of move. I don't know what it would take to get to that point, but the more you build up the sec and the big 10 to 18, 20, 22, 24 schools, Football eventually is just going to be like, wait, what are, what are we doing? Let the, let, the, let the conference stuff sort itself out. We don't need the conferences. We just come up with some sort of, you know, some sort of regionalized schedule model, um, decide whether we want to do a, a, you know, a, a, a regional championship or, or just, you know, mm-hmm. force, you know, just shove them into the playoff at the end without a championship game. I, that's where I think we should go because – you're you're not getting anything out of a 24 team baseball schedule or 24 team baseball conference. Like that's not that doesn't do anything um for for that for that particular sport. For all the other revenue sports below that even less so. So, I want to I want to get to a point where these conferences get too big and they just say, "You know what? Get rid of the conferences on the football side." and go back to some sort of regional equilibrium on the other sports. Will it happen? No, probably not. It's probably the same, <laughs> the same result of the argument of, hey, let's just drop these crappy football schools from these really big conferences because they're never going to be good in football again, even though Northwestern's actually been better in football more recently than Nebraska. But mm-hmm. that's an argument that most people don't really want to hear. They think traditional programs. <laughs> um, so th- I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on how this thing in terms of the end game looks well first of all just the the idea you were talking about there our, our friend dave fight um who writes for husker max and all huskers.com he's written about that a couple of times so if folks want to yeah. see that kind of out in more detail um he, he's written about that i think as this continues to go it's still going to break into essentially regional leagues within the conference Right, because once you're going to get too big, which is why I'm saying Nebraska needs to be cheering for a couple more West Coast teams to be added. But when you start to split things into their smaller pods and regions, you're getting stuff that is going to resemble a lot more of when it was the Big Six. So it's going to be much more tighter 
on what your league is going to look like, your annual teams you're going to face, and then you're going to take on the rest of what is going to be that overarching conference. And then from there, you might be able to add a couple of schools outside of that. I still think we're heading towards two to three big football leagues. Um, Now, when you're talking about basketball is still going to be fine with having these bigger leagues because I'm sure they would just split it up in half. They would combine two of the football pods and and then kind of go from there. Um, Baseball should have been regionalized anyway. Uh, but the thing that I have that, that I see as an immediate pitfall, if you take football and even basketball and you say, okay, you guys are part of this big conference, but all the rest of these sports are into more regional leagues. Well, those football schools, let, let's just say there, there's a regional league that includes Nebraska, Creighton, Kansas, Wichita State, Iowa State, whatever. Well, one of those schools is in a league that's going to get $100 million a year just because of what their football is doing. And then you push that towards the future of where all of that money gets distributed to all of their other sports. And yes, Nebraska baseball didn't do well this last year, but just on any given year where Nebraska can put up more scholarship money than any of the other schools and have better facilities than any of those other schools... What is that going to look like nine years out of ten? Like, as soon as you regionalize those non-revenue sports, those sports a little bit down the ladder, the schools that are part of the major conference world, the power conference, the the S-tier conference football leagues, that money is going to show up within those baseball programs, those track and field programs, the golf, the bowling, the swimming, all of those things that isn't there won't be there for an Iowa State or a Wichita State or even a Creighton or a UNO. Like Those things are not going to be there for them. So that's an immediate pitfall as soon as you start detaching those other sports from where football goes. Yeah, and they'll obviously still be a part of the the athletic department, but yeah, for those non-football schools... Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah, you, you got to figure something else out. You know, UNO leans on hockey, uh, and then you know Creighton obviously leans on basketball. Just those those local ones. Um, it, it 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 they knew that going in. I mean, it, if you don't have football, you know that you're you're you don't have the biggest money maker. Mm-hmm. Um, and and even those that are at the lower levels, like you've got uh, James Madison coming up to Division One, uh, St. Thomas in Minnesota coming up from Division Three, if I recall. Yeah. Uh, going straight to division one, two. So, so that the, those types of things, like if you have football, you're trying to get to the top as soon as you can. And if you don't have football, you're, yeah, you're going to have to try to figure it out and hang on and, 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 and just find some way to stay afloat in the current climate, which is absolutely ridiculous right now. And it's not even just about having football. It's about, you got to have football that's in that top league which is why right. I included in that example, say, Kansas and Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Because whatever's going to happen with the Big 12, if they don't end up getting some kind of merger, some kind of invite into the Big 10 or the SEC, then they're going to be left out of so much money that, yeah, you're going to be able to lean on Kansas basketball for a while, but your football program or your overall league is not going to be bringing in enough money that you can compete with just the sheer amount of money that's going to be at these other conferences. 
yeah, it, it's going to get to, it's turning into funny money already. Uh, even without Notre Dame involved, uh, the fact that they got US, USC and UCLA, the Big Ten is looking <laughs> at, they're looking at nine figure total payouts annually. That's okay. Which is, that's, that's pretty good. Um, also pretty good, Jimmy Watkins. He covers Husker Hoops for the Omaha World Herald. Um, we are going to get his thoughts next uh, about the Armand Gates departure. Uh, he is off to Oregon with Dana Altman. And uh, Fred Hoiberg's got another coaching vacancy uh, just uh, a few months uh, away from the season. Three months removed from the end of last season. And just now, uh, Gates is gone. So uh, we'll get into that and uh, a few more things roster-wise with Husker Hoops uh, and a little bit of football with Jimmy Watkins when we come back here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Talking with current and former Huskers and those that cover the Big Red, this is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. It's the off-season, but it's always cooking here on the KLIN Husker Hour. We've got plenty to uh, talk about. We've got your position previews for football continuing here shortly. We've got wide receivers and tight ends today. The pass catcher extravaganza, if you will. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got a Nebraska ball extravaganza coming at you with Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald, uh, who joins us today after some news in the middle of July yesterday. Uh, so uh, we welcome Jimmy back to the program. How has your uh, summer been so far? been great guys yeah not only news in the middle of july news in the middle of my friday afternoon workout i had to hop in the car all sweaty and make a bunch of calls and <laughs> get right and that's the nature of the biz though um probably more of an inconvenience for nebraska basketball than it is for me the timing on this is is pretty tough you you can you can tell fred hoiberg when you talk to him look, look man i had to get done on the you know on the lap press it was it was really difficult I'm sure it's very similar to what you're going through and trying to find this <laughs> third season all over again. So Armand Gates headed to Oregon. Uh, number one, was this out of left field or had you heard rumblings about this? And number two, what type of coach will Fred Hoiberg look to to fill this spot? Uh, yeah, I think it, I didn't hear much until yesterday. Um, I think it's a good opportunity for Armand. That's the kind of job that I think that you can parlay into a head gig at some point. Um, as for who they're going to re replace him with, uh, the, Armand's, Armand's specialty was working with guards. He was a great uh, on-court coach. He, I'm not sure that he ever uh, was the lead recruiter on a player <clears throat> that they signed, but that doesn't mean he wasn't helping them on the, on the road. Um, so I think they're going to be looking for a guy with extensive um, on-court experience, co on-court coaching experience, a guy that, I mean, this is their longest tenured assistant. So someone who has been around the block, um, but more, most importantly, someone who can come in and, and get to work quickly, you know, like everyone's, they were, everyone was on the road yesterday. Fred was visiting uh, Parker Fredrickson, the four-star kid from Oklahoma who reopened his recruitment after decommitting from uh, Oklahoma state. I know Adam Howard was, was down in the South <clears throat> yesterday. Like this is peak recruiting season. We're in the middle of the live period and you're short staffed. Now um, I could even envision a scenario where now this is, this is not someone who fits the description, 
that I just uh, opposed as, as someone who's <clears throat> got a ton of experience on a bench. But the guy they just hired, uh, Emmanuel Tommy, as their, as their director of, of player development. I could even envision a scenario where they're like, you know what? We already like this guy enough to hire him. Um, he knows how to work with Adam Howard. They work together at South Alabama. And we just need, like, we need bodies right now. We need someone who can, who can do this job. And yes, you've, you know, he's, you've never been an assistant coach before, but you know, you don't know what someone can do until you give them a chance. I think it's that whoever it is that it has, I think it's going to be a quick move. And I think they have to be ready to hit the ground running. Jimmy, we'll get into the summer league for a second uh, or in just a second, but would this be a chance for Fred Hoiberg to go see if he can pull someone from the NBA to, to, to be an assistant as well, especially what that can do for recruiting since Nebraska's put guys in the NBA three of the last four years? Ideally, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, so I think Fred would love to go snag someone from, with an NBA background, um, especially with, and with, with his background, you know, with his uh, resume, his time with the Timberwolves, his time coaching the Bulls. Um, you would think he'd, he he would have the contacts to do that. Nate Lenzer is a guy that he worked with in Chicago. Um, that that connection brought him to Lincoln, but you know you would think that he would have liked to do that with the Adam Howard hire as well. So I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go with it. Um, it would certainly would help to have another guy with an NBA background to help bolster because that's that's a big part of what they're selling, right? Like we have put guys in the NBA three of the last four years, and and we want. We want you to come here and be able to add to that um, track record. We've got Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald joining us here talking to basketball. Let's take a look at the roster now that it's settled. Uh, last time we talked with you, I, I think Trey McGowan's and uh, uh, Latman. Yeah, that's the other guy. Uh, <laughs> their 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 fates were not official uh, at the time, and and so we we've gotten some some clarity there. Looking at what Nebraska's got now, you've got that. You know, that classic Hoiberg blend of transfers with, with some returning players with a little bit of experience. Uh, which transfers stand to make the most impact now that we've uh, had a chance to, to get them a little bit more acclimated into Fred Hoiberg's system and, and they've had some time on the floor with, uh, with other guys? And, and which guys returning stand to benefit the most, uh, and including maybe Wilhelm, who comes off of injury and, and is uh, hopefully going to be full strength here? I think Wilhelm is, is maybe the most important player on the roster this year. Um, I know that they want to play more through their bigs. He's the most skilled big on the roster. Um, good passer. Um, didn't show it, but was a good shooter. Didn't show it last year, was a good shooter in high school. Has a lot of potential. I know the coaches were raving about him last summer and he's, he's pretty close to getting back. Um, so I think he's a key. He's the key to, I think you could, say that Wilhelm is, is the key to everything next year. I think he's going, how he, how he rehabs from that injury, how he comes back from it will play a huge role in, in what that team looks like next year. Um, as for the transfers, I think, I mean, obviously Sam Griesel is going to be dependent upon heavily. He's going to be the guy who has the ball in his hands the most. Um, so that's the most important player that on offense, he's the guy that's going to run everything. And, and he seems like he's already taken charge as, as the leader. He's the guy who is, uh, trying to organize, you know, off the court hangouts and um, get people, get people there, you know, they're doing some charity work. They're doing, they're doing a lot of stuff together, which is a good sign. The vibes are good early. Manuel Banamel is another guy we met this week. 
I wrote a story about him this week and he seems to be another great energy guy, like all positive, always talking, um, a lot of experience. The, the question I have about him is, you know, he's never been in a position where he's, he's been the primary uh, playmaker or even a secondary playmaker. You know, he was at, at SMU. He really was like a, a three and D guy, mostly, I think 63% of his shots uh, at SMU last season came from behind the three point arc. It was, it was mostly your floor spacer. And that doesn't mean that he can't do more with the ball in his hands just means that he hasn't done it at the college level yet. So that's, that's an interesting proposition to, to ask someone to come from the AAC, which is a, it's, I don't know, it's not a mid-major conference. It's like, it's in the weird middle ground. It's kind of like same thing in football, right? Like, I don't think that the AAC is quite a, a group of five conference in football, but it's not quite a power five conference either. Um, so you're making a, a jump in competition and then we're making, we're asking you to do more in your role as well. That's, that's not typically a scenario where your efficiency increases, but I think Fred is a good enough offensive coach and he will put Emmanuel in good enough positions where he'll have the opportunity to do that. Um, Juwan Gary is, I don't think he'll have the ball in his hands a ton, but he's going to be an asset on the defensive end. And Hoiberg has said on multiple occasions that they are going to change their entire philosophy about offensive rebounding because of what Juwan Gary can do um, as a, as a board crasher. And to, to be clear, their offensive rebounding philosophy before was essentially, we don't care about <laughs> offensive rebounding, just run back in transition defense. And by the way, even that, even with that philosophy, they still are running back in transition. So why not change it? Right. So Jawan Gary will be a huge uh, help in that regard. We haven't met him yet, but from the phone call I had with him when he first committed from everything that everyone has said about him, it sounds like he's a, a pretty entertaining guy. It sounds like he's going to be a good team chemistry guy. That's the overall takeaway I have from the first few availabilities of the summer is just like, there's a bunch of good vibes going around <laughs> this team. And I, and you know, I don't know what that's worth. I don't think that that's worth many wins on its own, but I do think it matters when, you know, if we saw so many times last year, an eight Oh run is just like, okay, the game's over now. Yeah. You know, we've, we've fallen behind now and not just going to be, we're not just going to lose this. We're not just going to let the, the game uh, run, we're not going to just lose the outcome here. We're going to, you know, we're going to show our, show our, you know, what's here, you know, like we're going to let this thing go to 25 points. And that's just, that's just unhealthy for, for building towards, building towards whatever you're building for. It's unhealthy for young guys who are trying to see how this stuff is supposed to be done. At the very least, the good vibes can help prevent that kind of stuff. I don't know if it translates to wins yet, but it can help. It can help stop avalanches. Wait, the football program has weight room highlight video season where everyone gets real pumped. Basketball has vibe season happening right now. Absolutely. It's, it's a, it's an endless reel. It's an endless reel of, of guys slapping each other on the butt and, and correcting each other on defensive rotations and clapping. And it's great. It's really. I, we need to get the social team on that. We need to see more. They they can get that. So Bryce McGowan's makes his debut in the uh, the summer league last night, but 
who is who's who is the guy that you are looking at to most replace what he did scoring the basketball? He also wasn't bad rebounding. Oh boy, Bryce actually, I thought Bryce did look pretty good. I was just watching his highlights this morning. Got some, um, got a, a couple of good pull up threes. Did get knocked off his spot a couple times. The the physicality stood out a little bit. Um, in terms of replacing Bryce, I don't know that there's anyone on this roster that can replace what he did as a, as an isolation scorer. I also don't know that that's the worst thing in the universe because too many, too often, um, Bryce and Alonzo Verge got, and, and other guys, you know, Kobe Webster was doing some of this sometimes too, just got too caught up in, I think I can beat the guy in front of me and that's what I'm going to try to do. And I do think that, uh, particularly if you get into high stakes moments, you know, two minutes left, tie game, um, especially when it comes postseason time. It's important to be able to have someone who can just go get it because teams are so locked in on defense and they know you're set so well by that point that it's not always going to work. The, the fluid flow that, that Fred likes to run is, is not going to work all the time in those moments. But for the first 38 minutes, I think it's, I think it's better to just have guys that know that they need to depend on other guys to score because that will, that will encourage them to run the offense and, and get other people involved and, and get the ball moving the way the coaching staff wants it to move. That's Jimmy Watkins from the Omaha World Herald. And if you take anything away from this conversation, it's vibe season. And I, I think maybe the motto for every player on the roster, which is didn't show it, but was a good shooter before <laughs> oh, uh, got to Nebraska. <laughs> oh. I'm sorry, hey, man. CJ Wilcher shot the heck out of the ball last year. Wilcher did, and I, I'm glad you brought him up. Let, let's close with him because I feel like he could be, he could be a little bit of a, uh, maybe not a a glue guy per se, but but he could be somebody who can uh, kind of bridge the gap from the old to the new. He's you know Wilhelm's important obviously, but he didn't play most of last season with the injury, um, and and Casey had his moments, but they were really few and far between. Um, it was really McGowan's. It was Kobe Webster. It was. Uh, it was Verge. So Wilcher can kind of be that bridge from, from one to the other. And, and like you said, he did actually shoot well, uh, despite my best efforts to disparage him there. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on Wilcher here in about 60 seconds as we wrap up? Well, speaking of vibe season, CJ Wilcher is supposedly in the best shape of his life. Hit your offseason yes. bingo card there. Um, bingo. We're going we're gonna to see him next week. Uh, I'm excited to see what he looks like. And I think it's possible that uh, you know, being in better shape could improve his ability as a as a, a driver. You know, if you leverage that jumper to to attack some closeouts and then maybe uh, do more on the perimeter defensively. At the end of last year, they had him guarding fours, which you know was because they were low on big men. But I also think he might have been better suited with his body type to guard fours at, at certain points than to guard the the jitterbug guards in the in the Big Ten. So. Big season, big off season for CJ, and yeah, he's he's definitely the bridge from the old to the new. Absolutely, and another bridge, and we all need to put a quarter in the Nebraska ball jar because none of us mentioned Derek Walker. How dare we, <laughs> my guy? All right, Jimmy Watkins, uh, enjoy the rest of your summer while you got it, and uh, I'm sure football and basketball season will be here before we know it. Uh, thanks for the time, and uh, have a good one. It's been a zoom by, guys. Thanks for having me. All right, good vibes from Jimmy Watkins there, and. Uh, uh, yeah, Caleb. As 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 we look ahead now to um, to to this next basketball season, Greasehill is going to be important uh, at the point guard position. But 
Um, man, I, I, I think C.J. Wilcher might be the make-or-break guy. Wilhelm will be important, but C.J. Wilcher is going to be hugely important because he was the only guy who proved he could actually shoot in Pinnacle Bank Arena for right. Nebraska. Yeah, and we'll see what uh, what Keisei can get figured yeah. out playing for the uh, the Japanese national team. Um, other guys, by the way, playing in the summer league. Uh, Delano Banton for Toronto, obviously. James Palmer Jr. for Utah and Trey McGowan's yeah. for the uh, L.A. Clippers. Those three will all get playing with their games today. Yes, sir. All right, we will get playing with our summer position previews right after this. It is wide receivers and it is tight ends right here on the KLIN Husker Hour. Stay with us. Never looking back again. Coming to America. Your Saturday morning source for everything Huskers is right here. You're listening to the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Big thanks to Jimmy Watkins, who just joined us talking about Nebraska basketball. If you missed him or anything else on the show, you can always head over to our podcast page at KLIN.com. You can head over to the Facebook Live as well. Uh, that's at our Facebook page, at KLIN Huskers. We are up live right now, courtesy of Kenny Larrabee. I'm Cole Stukenholtz. That's Caleb Henry. Hello. And we are rolling with wide receivers and tight ends. We had to combine them. <laughs> we're too we're too crunch for time. They're they're starting the season a week early on us again. So uh, we had to combine them. And and Caleb, fifteen hundred yards out of the uh, just over thirty one hundred came from Austin Allen and Samori Gray last year. So there's a lot of production to replace. Yeah. Um, and not not just those guys. They were the only ones who departed, but they were the bulk of it. Um, so I want to start there. Um, none of the returning receivers have uh, over 400 yards to their name in a Nebraska uniform. Do you know who has the most Division One production out of all receivers on this roster? Are we saying re- receivers and tight ends? Or just... Yeah, you can Yeah, throw tight ends in there, too. I'm pretty sure that that's the same. I was going to guess Vokalek. It wouldn't even be Vokalek. Oh. No, he would, he would come up just short. It would actually be Isaiah Garcia-Castaneda oh. at New Mexico State. Okay, that makes sense, I guess. Had about had about 600 yards in uh, 2021 uh, down there in Las Cruces. So it's you have Oliver Martin, Omar Manning, Wyatt Lever, uh, Brody Belt even started one game. Uh, those are your returning starters. Mm-hmm. Who and I say starters very loosely because they started at least one game. Uh, so they have. A lot of a lot of spots in that rotation open. If we if we look at it with three receiver sets, you, you've got like a a top six or a top nine, mm-hmm. and the, I mean the, the, they're gonna they're gonna lean heavily on the transfers. Trey Palmer, yep. Garcia Castaneda, uh, maybe even uh, a little bit of Marcus Washington from Texas, who has experience playing with Casey Thompson. Uh, I'm really interested to see what uh, Alante Brown does. He was the darling of the spring. Uh, but there, there's, again, like I said, so much uh, of a question mark around the wide receiver position in general. We'll get to tight ends, too. But uh, I want to start with wide receivers. What, what, do, what do you think of the picture right now? How, how far away from getting this focused are we? Um, I think there's a lot of good competition within this group that I'm not too worried necessarily about who are the two or three wide receivers on the field at any one time. Um, a big part of that is who they were able to bring in as transfers. But had they not, 
I think we are, we're still expecting to see Omar Manning break out. Like, like that's still a thing we're expecting, right? Um, for, for him to go be the guy at some point in here, Alante Brown as well to just be like, okay, go do that. Um, and then obviously we, we've seen Wyatt Lever be, be a guy at some, at points here and there. Like you said, Brody Belt, Oliver Martin, like, like there are guys that I were, I was expecting to take, take a step up from this last year to coming to this year with a coaching change, get a little bit different offensive philosophy. But then when you go in and add those transfers, we're really expecting Trey Palmer to come in and be an impact guy right away. As soon as you got Marcus Washington, you're like, okay, well, he's played with the guy who's the presumed starting quarterback. So I think you're already five, six deep on guys playing for three spots, which to me says you're too deep right away. If someone runs a fly route, he just comes off and you're able to put in someone else who should be able to do those exact same things and have that exact same production. Um, so this is a group, whereas like when, when we look at sometimes, when we looked at running backs, is when we get to offensive line, it's going to be, I really hope this guy can go. With the wide receivers, I think someone like that might emerge as, as someone that becomes a favorite target or just starts to do special stuff with the ball in his hands. But I'm not overly concerned about the, the very top of this group because there it seems like there's really talented depth. Um, I know that might sound like a thing we've said similar in years past, but there just hasn't been the production there. It feels a little bit different this year because of the talent that's come back and the talent that's been added through the transfer portal. Yeah, and... And you, you, another couple guys that I forgot about that, that maybe most folks have forgotten about, Kamonte Grimes and Sean Hardy uh, are a couple of redshirt freshmen holdovers from that 2021 class. Mm-hmm. Uh, they may be able to make that next step. Um, Victor Jones, DeColdis Crawford, Engineer and Bonner. DeColdest are, name ever. DeColdest to ever do it. Is that his middle name? I hope it is. <laughs> yeah. Those those are those are your incoming true freshmen. They, I, I, you may see them in the you know the the, the classic four games and then you're done. So they red shirt. Maybe you play a little bit more. Alante Brown has played quite a bit both seasons. He has not red shirted. Um, he still is uh, considered a sophomore because of the COVID year, uh, but he played in almost every game that he's been able to so far uh, in his two seasons at Nebraska. So you could see one of the true freshmen uh, have a little bit of an impact like that, both on the offense and on special teams. Um, that's the other thing to mention here. And Mickey Joseph has laid down the marker if you and if you are playing wide receiver for Mickey Joseph, you are playing on special teams as well. Mm-hmm. And so him and Bill Bush are going to get those vibes going uh, between this position group and kick coverage, punt coverage, et cetera, uh, because that all needs to improve as well uh, as as we mentioned on the the special teams preview. Um, what what I what I am still unsure of, uh, besides everything offensively, is how you get somebody or and probably two uh, of these players to take that next step when we have consistently just not seen it mm-hmm. from guys being able to take that next step you had you had uh Stanley Morgan and JD Spielman at the start of the uh, the Frost era um you had a couple of years of Wandale Robinson having that that job and and he was a real deal he's in the NFL now after having a season at Kentucky where he broke out at wide receiver without having to play running back <laughs> And last year, it was not any of these guys. It was, uh, you know, it was a grad transfer and some more Ray. 
So the 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 challenge is going to be: Can Nebraska get somebody? Uh, can can they get two of these guys? And it can be it can be a tight end. It can be a Travis Vokalek. It could be a you know if Thomas Fedoni is uh, what everybody thought he was going to be like immediately after this injury. Uh, it, it could be any any of these wide receivers or tight ends. But can you get two of them right. to produce at or near the level? that Toure and Austin Allen did last year with Toure about 900 yards, Austin Allen about 600 yards. That's the challenge. And I, I just don't know if you're going to get that type of production out of two of these players. I think it's going to have to be really, really spread out, and you're going to have to get contributions from a lot of guys on this list. I think the formula is different this year, though, Cole, because you, you, we have to account for the fact that that wide receiver room – has not had the influx of transfers before that, especially the high level transfers that it's had. Um, hasn't had the guys with the amount of talent that we've been waiting to take a step up, but sometimes we're waiting for those guys to step up and then they transfer. But some of these guys have been around a couple years now, so it's okay. They're, they've been within the program, and maybe that's something, something comes in and clicks. Also, like you said, Mickey Joseph. Like that that's a I think that's a bigger deal than we're even going to realize until we get into the season on what impact he can have on this room. And then throw in the fact that the offense is going to look a little bit different. Matt Masker, the uh the walk on quarterback, talked earlier this week about how the offense Scott Frost is taking a step back from it and the difficulty that is for the head coach, but that means the offense inevitably has to have a different fingerprint. So I think when when you put all those things together, I don't know if that equation necessarily says everything's going to go better, but I think the formula is so much different that it's really hard to look at the first four years under Frost and, and say this this is the blueprint we're able to follow on whether or not guys are going to be able to, t- to make a jump or if we're able to get actual production because there's just so many pieces that are different with this team as a whole, the offense as a whole, but especially the wide receivers and tight ends. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, you are going to see some changes with Whipple and Joseph and, and Frost running this thing a little bit differently, uh, especially in the past game than, than we saw last season and, and the previous seasons under Frost with Adrian Martinez at quarterback. Oh, yeah, and a different quarterback. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that in of itself will, will make the you know some changes happen. Um, but still, I, it, it, even though you have changes that look good on paper, even though you have, like you mentioned, Higher level transfers, more of them, more Division One experience. Uh, I'm still skeptical, mm-hmm. I guess, and and I think that most people probably are yeah. at this point based on what we've seen in four seasons under Frost. So until I see it, it's just going to be hard for me to make it out. Uh, it's it's going to be difficult for me to expect might be a strong word, but but to to have you know even even mild expectations right um for for this group and i, I want to transition a little bit of the tight end side because yeah. i think you could see you could hopefully you could see what Travis Vokalek do uh, a little bit of what he did um at at times last season in in spots last season but mostly honestly what he did at Rutgers mm-hmm. um he his two seasons there were more productive than either of his two seasons here in Lincoln um and but look at look at who he was lined up opposite of for tight end here in Lincoln right. the last couple of years. Right, but I don't think he was the number one guy from his freshman year in in Piscataway either. Mm-hmm. Like he was still productive up there. And so I again, it's it's similar to to wide receiver. You know, is he going to be able to make that next step? Can he be the guy the whole season through? I don't know. Right. Um. 
the it's it's a pretty stark difference though if you just look at the positions between wide receiver and tight end. Uh Mickey Joseph, brand new into the system, huge splash with all these transfers, uh a couple of other uh true freshman recruits that he got to commit before February signing day, flipped that room um about like seventy-five percent. Uh and then you have Sean Becton, who's <laughs> the only offensive holdover right. uh from from when Scott Frost started. He's still a guy who was with him in Central Florida. He's been a rock. He's been the steady hand, and and he developed Austin Allen over that uh, four seasons. Uh, he's helped Travis Vokalek in in ways, and and hopefully we see that come to fruition for Vokalek here in 2022. Uh, he turned Chancellor Brewington in a short period of time into a, from a former a, a former uh, F, FCS wide receiver into a tight end wrecking ball <laughs> on the edges of goal line formations. Uh, and don't look now, but Chancellor Brewington uh, up from 185 last year on the roster to 220. Yeah. Uh, little gains there with a Z for Chancellor Brewington. Mm-hmm. So Sean Becton is, uh, he's, he's I, I'm not going to say a polar opposite. Uh, that, would, that would maybe make an unfair comparison between him and Mickey Joseph. But the, the, the opposite in terms of, You've got stability. Mm-hmm. You've got something you can expect and that you can hopefully lean on if you're an offense with that tight end position because they've got, uh, and here's that term again, fourth-year sophomore Chris Hickman <laughs> uh, may be able to contribute uh, on a more consistent basis this year. Uh, and then everybody's favorite potential, Thomas Fedoni, right. uh, coming off from injury. So there's there's a lot there at tight end as well. Uh, and you can do multiple for, multiple tight end formations. You can get heavy. Uh, I'm excited to see the options that they that they play with early in the season uh, and and what they can do with some of these guys moving them around the chessboard. Yeah, and you've got some some other guys that that played. We got to think who played well in the uh, in what we were able to see from that spring game. Nate Borkerter had a, a really nice catch from Chubba Purdy. We've seen James Carney play right here in, in Lincoln um, through his high school career, and then he's gotten a little bit of run, um, especially springtime run. But I, I'm not. I'm not scared of what the offense can do if one of those guys runs out there. AJ Rollins, the uh, the Creighton Prep um, yep. alum, like there are some really talented guys that I think you don't want to lean on unless you're there's been enough attrition that you have to get to those guys. I think if healthy, everyone's healthy. It's Vokalek and Fedoni. You mix in Hickman, especially on passing plays, and we know Brewington's going to be that wrecking ball. I'd be interested to see how much Hickman is used. In like running plays where where he might come in as a blocker, so that defenses can't just go okay, he's in. We got to watch for him on the pass, and how much they can utilize Brewington as not just an in motion blocker, because um, there was enough. There's enough film on that now, um, and what guys were what teams were able to see that be identified as when Chancellor Brewington comes in, because we all saw it in the press box. We're like, hey, Brewington said, watch the guy on the other edge. <laughs> like, coaching staffs are smart. Like, they should be this smart to identify that. Is there a way to get Brewington involved where he's running a route from time to time? Even if it's yeah. a it's a giant decoy just to say he can do this, um, that I think those those are some wrinkles that are going to need to get worked in. But it's Vokalik and Fedoni, and it, it should be those guys Going forward, Vokalek, the the guy who's been around for a long time, and uh, he's he's been a journeyman going from Rutgers to Nebraska, and then Fedoni, who can he finally emerge from all of the hype and then just the the rash of injuries he's had so far? 
Yeah. And, and last thing on, on, on both of these positions, one of the things that receiver has really flipped is the size. Uh, mm-hmm. we, we, we saw JD Spielman as a small guy, Wandale Robinson as a small guy. There's just a lot of small guys on the roster. You know, Marcus Fleming was a, a really highly rated recruit who played for about two seconds here, and he was a small guy. And and so like the the some of the gains that these guys have made, uh Chris Hickman's at 215, Vocalex at 260, he's six foot seven, uh Carney's 225, Borkercher's 230. You've got Thomas Fedoni at 235. We talked about Brewington, who's 220. And then at wide receiver, just the size of these guys, uh, Trey Palmer's 6'1", Omar Manning, 6'4", Marcus Washington, 6'2", Janiran Bonner, 6'3", Kamati Grimes, 6'3", uh, Brody Belt's obviously on the smaller side, uh, Sean Hardy is 6'3", Victor Jones, 6'1". They've really flipped this thing around. Lever and Martin uh, are, are both over 6' as well. It's it's the exception now that guys are five eleven or shorter, not the rule mm-hmm. like it was two or three years ago. I'm interested to see how in the in a conference like the Big Ten, where you've got a lot of talent at a lot of those cornerback and safety spots across the conference, if that size can really start to change things uh, in terms of where Nebraska is is willing to throw. Um, and and Casey Thompson's a big part of this too. Is he going to be a more willing? passer in terms of taking that that throw that that adrian martinez maybe didn't try right um martinez gets a lot of flack for being a turnover guy but he really did play conservatively in terms of the passing game Mm -hmm. he didn't take a lot of chances a lot of 50 50 balls i'm interested to see if that changes in part because of the quarterback but also in part because of the size of the targets that they may have this year that they have not had in recent seasons so that is our summer position preview wide receivers and tight ends We've got linebackers next week. We go from an unstable position to a maybe most stable position of all in the inside spots and, and outside, too, in terms of the starters. So uh, that'll be next week. Uh, we're going to be back to wrap this thing up uh, with a little bit more right after this here on the KLI and Husker Hour. Giving you a complete review of the Huskers news this week. This is the KLIN Husker Hour on Lincoln's Husker Radio, 1499.3 KLIN. Shortly after we got off the air last Saturday, Nebraska got a commitment from wide receiver Barry Jackson from Ellenwood, Georgia, hmm. which coincidentally is the same hometown as, uh, I think, another, uh, yeah, Janiran Jan- Bonner. Um, same high school there uh, as uh, as Virginia and Bonner. So Barry Jackson uh, committed uh, uh, just last Saturday. And then on the 5th, the day after the 4th <laughs> of July, you got Dylan Rogers, inside linebacker from Texas. And then Omarion Miller, who was a really big get, top 100 level recruit, four-star wide receiver, uh, six foot two, 190, mm-hmm. out of Vivian, Louisiana. Uh, that that, uh, that down south connection for Mickey Joseph seems to be working wonders, eh, Caleb? Yeah, that was a pretty big deal to see that number of recruits come in. Um, yeah. and, and again, it just continues to reiterate what what a uh, when you when you're looking at the plot, how much of an outlier that the 2021 class, and even yes. getting into the 2022 class a little bit, how how much those don't line up with overall recruiting for the University of Nebraska, regardless of who the coaching staff is or the assistants are. Um, and then you get the boost of these these new coaches that have come in that clearly have a little bit better connections than the guys before them. 
that are maybe a little bit better recruiters as a whole than the guys before them as well. Um, and all those connections are really starting to pay off. So we, we've said it before, or at least I've said it before. I can't even remember if you agree with me half the time, Cole. But always, th- th- always, this is one <laughs> of those places that if it's fringe, frost back, frost not back, and you're able to look at what the recruiting is coming in, that is something to tip the scale in his favor when he's having those conversations with Trev Alberts after the season. Boy, I, I hope so for the sake of, of stability, just because I remember 2007's class, which was really, really good before it <laughs> fell apart because Bill Callahan got fired, uh, and the 2017 class, mm-hmm. which was really, really good before it fell apart because Mike Riley was getting fired. Like, we've seen this, uh, and, and and hopefully that doesn't happen here uh, because they've really made strides. They had five commits. Uh, I think at the start of June, mm-hmm. and they've added six since then. So you've got 11 total in the class now. Um, so really big strides in recruiting, uh, and maybe a few more they'll make before uh, we get to uh, the end of July and into August, into the season. There's football next month, Caleb. We are there. Yes. It's so close we can taste it. Uh, we won't be there in Ireland, but we'll we'll be watching. All right. Uh, thanks for joining. Thanks to Jimmy Watkins. That's going to do it for us. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Go Big Red. This is the sound of a brand new outdoor grill being hurled off a 20-story building. Now a stylish glass coffee table. An electric guitar. These are the things you could enjoy all cast into oblivion. Because when you throw away money on wasted electricity, you throw away everything you could have bought with it. Visit energysavers.gov and get tips on how to save energy and money. Then do things like switch to Energy Star light bulbs or Energy Star appliances, and you can save hundreds of dollars a year. So this doesn't happen to the recliner you've had your eye on, or this to the treadmill on your wish list, or this to the shiny new bike your kid's been asking for. Saving energy saves you money. Learn more at energysavers.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Energy and the Ad Council. From the Momo Pizzeria and Ristorante Studios, we are the voice of Lincoln. KLIN Lincoln. KDK HD3 Lincoln. K257TN Lincoln is 1499.3 KLIN. Five hours of talks between the U.S. and China. I'm Pam Puso, Fox News, and both Secretary of State Antony Blinken and his Chinese counterpart say the discussion on the sidelines of the G20 summit was candid. The relationship between the United States and China is highly consequential for our countries, but also for the world. We're committed to managing this relationship, this competition, responsibly, as the world expects us to do, leading with diplomacy. Relations that are already contentious have been further complicated by the war in Ukraine. That conflict was a major focus at the G20, which has wrapped up in Indonesia. Despite reports of an operational pause, Ukrainian officials say Russia is still pounding the eastern part of the country. Elon Musk hasn't been tweeting much lately, and he apparently no longer wants to buy the company for $44 billion. 
Attorneys for Elon Musk write in a letter to Twitter that Musk is terminating their April merger agreement. They write that Twitter is in material breach of multiple provisions and may have made false and misleading representations about the company. That for nearly two months, Musk had been trying to get information about fake or spam accounts on the platform, and that Musk had asked to do an independent analysis of fake accounts. That Twitter admitted to not providing enough data to perform such an analysis. Fox says Jessica Rosenthal, Twitter seems ready to fight to make sure the deal goes through.